The Start On Demand. On demand. Winnipeg is on pace for a record year for homicides. We'll give you the details on the latest incident in our city and speak to a prominent community activist who is mad as hell about the increased violence. We've also learned of a shocking and horrifying threat against an off-duty Winnipeg police officer. Kildonan Place is looking to make some serious upgrades. We'll talk about some of the other places in Winnipeg we'd like to see get a facelift. And it's Lux Barbecue to the rescue. They heard Greg and Lorenz plight on Friday. Uh, they can't get to their barbecues because they're buried in snow. So Lux came down today and cooked up some steak and hot dogs in our parking lot, and it was delicious. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, March 18th podcast for The Start. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, the widow of the men, viciously beaten to death on Selkirk Avenue early Sunday morning, is asking anyone who may have seen what happened to come forward. I just please come forward if anyone has any information, you know. I want justice for him. He didn't deserve to die like that. The victim's name was John Gabriel, and he was assaulted around 2.30 Saturday morning and later died in hospital. His wife, Vanessa Kennedy Gabriel, who you just heard there, says John was a family man who was a great father to her kids. Now, he's the city's ninth homicide victim of the year, and that's a number Winnipeg didn't actually hit until June of last year. And so we're well on our way to surpass, I think, what would have been last year's total, which was around 42. Global's Alice McKinnon now with more on what police are saying about their search for a suspect in this latest homicide and the concern that's growing in that community. It was a scene Stephanie Lequit did not expect to see. She was simply out getting cigarettes early Saturday morning when she saw a man on the ground. I jumped out and I was trying to wake him up, like trying to help him and I was trying to talk to him and then I noticed he was like falling asleep. I ran back to the truck and I grabbed some towels to try to stop the bleeding. I mean, like there was so much blood. Like, I didn't even know where it was coming from. I, I only saw the one wound, but I knew there was more. Laquette tried to get others to help her, but she says they kept their distance. And I was asking the people inside to, you know, call the police, help them out. They wouldn't open the door. Like, they just kept their distance. And I was like, why aren't you helping him? First responders arrived on Salter Street and transported the 30-year-old man to hospital, but he died of his injuries. Police believe the victim was assaulted and then made his way north. Investigators got to the 100 block, which is a gas station, just south, a couple of blocks south, Stella and Salter. They realized that the scene extended north toward the intersection of Selkirk Avenue, which is why we have a fairly large area blocked off. Police are asking anyone who has information about the assault to come forward. Whether that's CCTV footage from local businesses, any forensic information we may gather, we believe that based on just the dynamics of that area that there may have been people out there who could possibly provide us with something that would be helpful. Allison McKinnon, Global News. So Winnipeg is actually, I want to correct myself there. We had, I think, 22 homicides last year and at the pace we're going, we're on target to pass 40, if not more. That was the police's concern last week and then we had this weekend homicide. And so that rate is rising and we know there's lots of concern within the community and we're going to speak to some activists after 8 o'clock. As we speak, Loren McNabb, there is police tape up around a rooming house on Langside after an assault overnight. And what's happening there follows a search for a suspect or suspects in the Selkirk and Salter area after the beating death of a Winnipeg man. His homicide is the city's ninth homicide of the year. And for an area resident who tried to stop and help him early Saturday morning, it's left her wondering what's next. Going home covered in blood, like how do you even explain that to little kids? Like, And it's so dangerous and... They're so, like, innocent. They don't know what, like, how, like, the world is. And it's really gotten so bad. And you don't want to have to have talks with your young children about, like, you know, safety and where they're scared. Because sometimes my son does say how he's scared to do things. And he always sees people on drugs walking around. And, you know, like, they just yell out. They're just, you know, it's all over the place. Cell Burroughs is chair of the Point Douglas Residence Committee, and Cell joins us live now. Cell, when we hear the city's on pace to hit over 40 homicides this year, that's almost 
twice what we saw last year. Is that fear-mongering or is the fear or concern in your community and others like it, is it real? Well, two things. First of all, it's real. And secondly, I just retired as chair of the Residence Committee and a wonderful woman named Catherine Flynn has taken over. But I still coordinate the Citizens on Watch in North Point Douglas. Yeah, no, it's very real. And it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm quite angry. Uh, this has been building for a long time. And uh, the institutions, uh, the big institutions that should be dealing with it are carrying on as usual and not making the adjustments. And, uh, you know, um, it's easy to talk about uh, issues in theoretical basis, but when you live in the inner city and you see the the addictions that, you know, and so much of this is drug-driven, you know, the chief of police talks about the, the meth crisis. He's, he's dead on. Uh, it's dead, wrong terminology, too many dead people. But, you know, the... the what one would think would be the normal responses that should that different institutions should be taking is uh, they're wringing their hands and uh, not not adapting, not adjusting, not uh, not defending, protecting the uh, the citizens of the inner city. And well, one of the well, Sal, happened, who are you pointing the finger at? Just so you can you mentioned in the institutions and that you you have some anger there. So who are we talking about that you think hasn't taken action quickly enough? Well, you know, if uh, you have a mental health issue and the police are having to deal with it, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm a strong supporter of the frontline cops and this stuff, but there, there's some desperate need for change um, at the, in the manage, you know, management level. And I'm not talking about Danny. Danny Smythe is a, a wonderful chief of police. He's identified the need for community involvement. And I've been saying for, for five, six years now that you can't hire enough police and social workers to deal with the crime issue. You have to have the residents of the community involved and give them a, a methodology of identifying who the people that are committing these crimes are and helping having them dealt with. And the criminal justice system is a, is a very clumsy system, but uh, I think we have to look at uh, federal crown attorneys and their lack of success in uh, convicting the, the, some of the big-time drug dealers. Uh, we have to look at some of the major social service agencies. Uh, you know, when I have a mental health situation across the street from me, and, you know, three times in two weeks there's four police officers dealing with it, uh, where it should be a mental health worker. By the way, the police officers dealt with it brilliantly. Um, but it's wasn't it's not a police issue uh i could get i'll, I'll go on to some of the others well why don't i just talk about the bloody liquor gaming and cannabis uh, authority we have a hotel in our area um and they have made their decision that uh they're only concerned at what goes on in the uh in the bar itself and the fact that the manitoba warriors are all over the hotel uh adjacent to, oh, that's a police problem. I said, no, it isn't. You know, Bonnie Mitchelson, get off your butt and help the community instead of going by these narrow interpretations. She's the chair of the board there. And I've gone right to the premier's office on this and got no, you know, <laughs> Sal, yeah, Sal, you yeah. sound exasperated, and and I understand, you know, the exasperation and the and the frustration. Yeah. But you sounded so sure that more people should have seen this coming this spike in violence in our community this this sudden uh, spike it would appear in the homicide rate why do you sound so certain that people should have seen this coming what were the clues to you or what have been the 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 clues to you well i think you know the increase in the the serious drug drug issues uh, the conversion from crack to meth um it has has been a major major problem. The uh, the fact that that meth is so cheap and so many people are getting into dealing. And I guess for an inner city kid, dealing meth, working as a sex trade worker, are normal behaviors now. We have allowed these things to become normal, and it's it's scary when a kid can't get a job. Uh, 
because he's racialized, because he's indigenous or or person of color. Um, and don't let anybody tell you that there's no racism in hiring. So, hey, they turn to something that's really out there, it's really easy, and can get you killed very quickly. Uh, you know, you, you look at wonderful people like Mark Chipman and, and Kevin Chief out there trying to get jobs. I mean, the Business Council of uh, Manitoba is out there trying to get inner-city kids uh, jobs. You know, and they're, they're running into huge barriers. Some of these companies are coming through, but most of the private sector aren't interested in getting jobs. Well, it sounds like we have a huge problem with many approaches that need to be taken, Sal, but the concern is very real in your community. I thank you for your time. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us. This morning on 680 CJOB, our friends from Lux Barbecue are in our parking lot right now at 1440 Jack Blick, just north of Hudson's Bay. And I've just, honestly, like just before I turned on the microphone, I finished inhaling some steak. It is delicious. Come get a hot dog. I know Loren is waiting to get hot dogs. She's going to have to run down, I guess, at 25 after. I am. And while I run down, I'm giving Jeff the phone number for our 905 guest right now. So... We'll just keep set. We'll have to set that up. Oh, we're we're stretching here. Is that what we're doing? We're, we're going to rag the puck. <laughs> I believe is the official terminology. So while we wait for our next guest, uh, or and if you even need to run in and talk to to Jeff Loren, go ahead and do that. But we can tell you that Lux Barbecue uh, joined us just on a whim on Friday. They heard us talking, just kind of off the cuff. We were lamenting that we're tired of winter. We want to crack open the barbecue. And yes, I know you can barbecue year-round, but the point is Greg's uh, barbecue is blocked by a mountain of snow on the deck because, he, you know, he was you were trying to stay on top of it, I but was. It, it snowed a lot yeah, and life gets in the way. Yeah, away for a bit and, yeah, things happen. And the same thing with McNabb. you got to drag it out of the garage. It's a big production. And sometimes life gets in the way. Just, ah, whatever, we'll wait until the snow melts. Well, Lux Barbecue heard us. Well, you made the joke. You just said, well, you should get Lux Barbecue down here. And No, you said I should get my friends from Lux Barbecue to shovel my snow or something like correct, that. Correct. Correct. And uh, I suggested that perhaps they would do that because their service is so outstanding. And then I thought, well, I, I'm sure Phil and or Evan are listening right now and that uh, they'd be happy to, you know, cook up some hot dogs for us. And within, what, about three minutes, you had a text from Evan at Lux Barbecue saying, we'd be happy to bring some barbecues down when you want to do this. So we went, we jumped through the appropriate hoops and now we have three different barbecues and the hot dogs are going on, as I expect. That's right. So you can come by, just come by, get a hot dog. There's no strings attached. Just, we've got a hundred hot dogs up for grabs. So come say hello and grab a hot dog. We're going to switch gears drastically now to a disturbing incident involving Winnipeg police. Yeah, we're hearing this morning, this is breaking news through CJOB, that an email went out to police officers over the weekend warning them to be very vigilant or extra vigilant uh, when it comes to who they might encounter outside police headquarters after a suspect allegedly pulled a gun on an off-duty officer. And to explain more about what he knows and what he's hearing, we're joined by President of the Winnipeg Police Association, Mo Sabarin. Good morning, Mo. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's a pretty startling thing to hear. What do you know about what may have occurred? At, uh, I think it's late Saturday night, early Sunday? Uh, it would have been early Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. A uh, member was on their way to their uh, their vehicle, uh, confronted by a male who brandished a, a firearm. Uh, it's clear that the individual knew that uh, the member was a police officer by the comments that were made. Um, brandished the firearm and uh, actually pulled the trigger on the member. Um, just luckily enough, uh, the firearm failed to discharge and our member was able to flee the area with uh, without being physically injured anyway. So, Are we talking about a possible attempt then? Can we just call it that? Someone tried to kill or at least severely hurt a police officer by firing it, trying to fire a gun at them? Well, because the the suspect is uh, not in custody at this point, and we have no idea what the intention was, but uh, the actions seem pretty clear that uh, that could have been the result of their actions. Mo, I don't like to understate things or overstate them, if at all possible, but uh, how concerned are your members based on this news, and, and how have they found out about it? Has, has, has everyone been made aware of this situation? Uh, it. I believe that uh, great attempts were made to uh, not only notify the members uh, that were working in HQ that night, but uh, to notify all members uh, citywide. 
Um, the details of the incident weren't specifically shared with the members, and I don't know if that was to prevent panic, but uh, I think, um, you know, the, those details should have been completely shared. I think uh, the service uh, downplayed it a little bit uh, because, as you can uh, understand that uh, th- this is very concerning to the association um, for the safety of our members. And when HQ was being uh, constructed, we brought our concerns forward that there were no safe, secure parking plans in place. And that was never addressed. We had a member that was stabbed, uh, if you recall, in late 2017. Uh, returning to his vehicle and and those are the most serious uh, events that have occurred there's been numerous um, occurrences where members are threatened where they're followed where they're chased either to or from their vehicle coming or going from work so we have a a great concern we've called for um, safe secure parking to be provided for our members which we believe would greatly decrease these sort of incidents Uh, however um, the cooperation from the service and the city and the mayor who pledged to uh, work with us to find a solution uh, when our member was stabbed in 2017 uh, appears to have fallen on deaf ears. Now the situation where this officer had a gun uh, pulled on, someone pulled a gun on the officer, uh, was this Mm -hmm. officer on duty at the time or off duty? No, he was off duty. He was returning to his vehicle uh, after finishing a tour of duty. So not in uniform? Uh, no, very unlikely that he was in, in, in uniform. Most of our members uh, don't want to target themselves by walking to their vehicle in a, a uniform, which basically would clearly identify. But uh, it's apparent that this suspect uh, was well aware that the member was a police officer. And you mentioned that uh, the officer then was able to flee the scene uh, safely without injury. And is that protocol for rather than to attempt to make an arrest on this individual would be to, to get to safety instead in an off-duty situation? Well, I, I would say to you that uh, the likelihood that the member had the equipment belt that uh, he is trained to use uh, during use of force encounters uh, was not likely with him at that time. Um, so when you have uh, a suspect with a firearm, um, the best um, course of action would be to uh, disengage and, and get the hell out of there, actually. Hey, Mo, this has got to be concerning from a public safety point of view. If someone's prepared to approach an officer off-duty or otherwise uh, in this fashion, uh, as a public, how concerned should we be? Should that be amplified? Well, we've always uh, we've always been saying that uh, crime continues to worsen in Winnipeg. The level of violence continues to, to escalate. Uh, even the service uh, had their media release with the number of weapons that have been seized in the uh, the walkways in downtown Winnipeg. So not only is the danger increased for our members, but we have great concern for the public safety as well. And uh, it's clear that, um, you know, council and the mayor are, are happy to um, let things be status quo, uh, especially when we've made our concerns known that uh, the violence and the calls for service in Winnipeg have to be addressed. I know, Mo, you didn't want to go into what the intent of this suspect might be, but given that there was an exchange to confirm that he was talking to an officer because this officer was on duty, and given that a gun was pulled, is it is it fair to say that, in your opinion, that, that this person may have been trying to target and hurt a police officer? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't uh, see any other reason for the exchange that occurred prior to and and because the suspect is still outstanding uh, i i don't necessarily want to share those details because that may form part of an interview later on all right mo sabarin is the president of the winnipeg police association thanks so much for joining us mo thank you very much for having me on and just uh to confirm we've also reached out to the winnipeg police service just to get their comment on what uh, their details are in terms of what has transpired here and if any changes may or may not be made in terms of protocol for winnipeg police officer but we just had the uh, police union on telling us about a gun being pulled and an off-duty officer on the weekend <music> Now, late last week, it was learned that Kildonan Place 
is looking for a facelift. They want to upgrade the Sears, the old empty Sears location. They want to transform that into a new movie theater and grocery store, which means they're going to tear down the old movie theater and expand the food court. So that is great news. I think that's great because even though I don't live in Transcona anymore, KP is sort of my home mall. I spent tons of time there as a younger lad, and uh, I've long thought, man, they got it's time to upgrade that movie theater. It once was the movie theater in Winnipeg, but not anymore. As soon as Silver City opened up, that was it. For the, I don't remember the last movie I saw killed on a place. Maybe mm. The Phantom Menace, Star Wars. <laughs> it's been a long time. So we're wondering, is there a spot you'd like to see get an upgrade in Winnipeg? Greg? I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Shaw Park, the home of the Gold Eyes, is looking a little dingy. There's missing pieces of metal facade, seeing rust come around. The last few games that I've been at, the the seats have been kind of grimy. I think it, it seems like uh, maybe I need to take my pressure washer over there and uh, some and some. Uh, Can you get it, your some, pressure some washer? I I can't now. I thought it was right by the, it's right by the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, it's 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 in a, a better uh, situation in terms of undercover. But yeah, the point is that uh, obviously that building's been around since 1998 built for the Pan Am games and the gold eyes. And yeah, it's just feeling just, just like it needs a little bit of TLC over at uh, the ballpark here in Winnipeg. So it hurts me to say it, but it's been on my mind for a couple of years now. I used to work at Taco Bell at 1536 Regent Avenue, which is now a credit union. So uh, of course I love Taco Bell, but I don't go to Taco Bell that often. And I remember two years ago, I went to the one I think on... St. Mary's, there's a KFC Taco Bell. I believe it's St. Mary's and where well St. Mary's and where Dun Dunkirk slash Dakota meet. And uh I remember thinking, oh my, this is a sad state of affairs here. This needs a they still have the same so this chairs is what you from like twenty five years Taco ago. Bell? Oh, that's, that's another example. Okay. And yeah, okay. Taco Bell is a fine eating establishment, Lorraine. How dare you? No, I'm not insulted. I love tacos. I just, of all the places in the city, I, you really pinpointed a very specific location. Well, I, I think the, 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 over, <laughs> I the overarching it. point I'm making is we things open and then there doesn't seem to be any sort of upkeep. Like even the Cineplex theaters, you know, Silver City. I, I, I Sometimes I go in there and think, they like wash the floor or clean the carpets in a long time? I don't know. They're gro- gross. Like, my girlfriend and I won't go to the one here at Polo unless we absolutely have to. Really? It's that bad. It's it's The carpet is disgusting. So are the seats. The bathroom at any time of day, any day of the week, looks like 3 a.m. at a nightclub. And it's just, it's just horrible. I, I don't understand what's going on over there. You know, I've often said that people are talking about why fast food establishments, and I won't use any in particular here, aren't as busy as they used to be, used to be. And quite often people say, well, people are starting to eat healthier and so they're not going as much. No, go to the drive through The drive through is as busy as it's ever been. I'll tell you why you're not as busy in your lobby, as they call it. It's because it's not clean and you don't take care of it the way you used to. It's all focused on the drive through Even when you go and you try and, and order in, you will stand there waiting for someone to take your order because they're busy. There's yeah. nine people working the drive through mm-hmm. and nobody working the front counter, and there's nobody in the lobby cleaning up after people leave their stuff behind, mopping, wiping chairs and tables. If you want to have a successful fast food establishment, I'll tell you this. Hire more people, put them in the lobby, concentrate on your in-house customers, and I bet you you'll be busier. End of rant. We've established long ago that people are disgusting in our... You had that photo of a movie theater a few months ago where people just chucked their napkins on the ground. So it's very easy to say people aren't cleaning up. And I've watched people in fast food restaurants or in the washrooms, you know, like wash their hands and then take the paper towel and like chuck it, floats through the air, lands on the ground, (laughs) they walk out. It's just like, oh, "Oh, darn, missed it. Oh, I missed it. Like it's not a basketball game. No one else is going to pick up the rebound and throw your garbage (laughs) in for you. Like, I, uh, yes, should people be doing more staff-wise? Yeah. Yeah. people, People generally are just, if it's not their house... They're not cleaning it up. Yeah, and then uh, uh, at some fast food places, too, you go to put your garbage away, mm-hmm. and you need to take the top of the garbage off so that you can stamp it down and have room to to put it in. So that goes back to your point, Greg, that uh, you know, appearance, first appearances are always, uh, I think, uh, tantamount to success. And, and, and so for those who are trying to contribute 
you know, but the garbage is just overflowing. Well, you need to spend a little bit more time on that facet yeah, as well. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people would say uh, a bigger reason to maybe patronize more local businesses and mm-hmm. uh, to get away from the, the yeah. national brand, so to speak. Yeah, I... Uh First of all, I like that. I'm just sort of stuck on the basketball reference. That was really swift, the way you just put that together. No one's going to pick up the rebound. Right. Yeah. Is it a layup? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm stuck on the Taco Bell. I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually been craving tacos for the last hour. because you go I down and get a hot dog at 8.30. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Is there a place in Winnipeg that you would like to see yet a little bit of TLC? Because, yeah, it frustrates me when a... A place opens, it's nice and shiny. You haven't been there in a while, let's go back to that place and you walk in and go, oh my, how the mighty have fallen. Mm. This is uh, in a state of disrepair. It's also the time of year, though, where sure. every building gross. is just dirty and yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. melt yeah. and stuff. Right? We were, I was saying we were down at the Forks and it's like the prettiest spot. I love it going down there, but even this time of year, I was like, oh, everything's melty and slushy and mud. And then we went, we had all the warming huts off and you go and the kids were playing in it. And of course, like half of them are graffitied with things. Like no. my kids are like, what is that? And I'm like, it's a <laughs> Balloon with two eyes, <laughs> the hot dog. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, what? what am I looking at, Mom? And you're like, I'm not telling you what you're looking at if you don't know. So we're good. But can't we have nice things? One of our listeners just saying, hey, an attention to graffiti. Talking about graffiti downtown on the Bay, Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. You know, in New York, when you think about the transformation of New York in the last thirty years, it's like zero tolerance for this stuff. And I'm a big believer. As soon as it goes up, you've got to have somebody with a pressure washer or a paint can and paintbrush and get rid of that graffiti. Nothing says I says I don't care than leaving graffiti on on a building or uh, some it's sort of every piece of, single day. Though, like I just. Some of you those can't places give up. Just, you can't know, give up, Loren. Yeah. Right. I was quite encouraged to hear, though, that some money is going to be put into the legislature, some serious mm-hmm. money, because, you know, that that's an important building in Winnipeg as well. And uh, judging by uh, Brittany Greenslade's description on Arias last week, it does need a facelift and then some. I said I wasn't going to mention roads, but if, you, if you've driven up Memorial to the legislature, of all the roads in the city that leads to our province's most important building, that road is the worst. We want you to go to WNLA.ca, Winnipeg Nightlife Awards. The start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb has made the top five for radio show of the year. We'd love for you to cast a vote. We're hosting this event at April on April 19th at the Met. I've got a dress I get to have provided for me. I have lied about my size. Oh, so I have Why did you do that? Why <laughs> would know. you do that? As a, uh, you know, uh, inspiration. I'm more of an ish on this side. <laughs> on the higher end of the ish. Will there the be, lower ish. Are there spanks in your forecast? Oh, there, there'll be like a triple layer spanks going on. <laughs> saran wrap, followed by the spanks, <laughs> and then more saran wrap. You're going to have to carry me. Like, I'll be so stiff. You'll just have to, like, I'm like a mannequin. Like, can you just lift me over here now, please, guys? I cannot move or bend over. How's Brett going to do that with both of us wrapped in saran wrap? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just thought it was a good, like, I can get there. It's just an ish. Cast your vote <laughs> at WNLA.ca. And uh, we would love to see you at the show on April 19th. And as well, kudos to Brittany Greenslade, nominated for TV Personality of the Year over from Global Winnipeg. Now, Greg, what's happened? It's called the Canadian Football League, right? You are that correct. hasn't changed. That has not changed. Lots of people wondering if maybe it is going to change. Over the weekend, it was suggested on social media that there is an agreement between the Canadian Football League and the Canadian Football League's Player Association to reduce the number of Canadian born players that need to start the game from seven to five and social media was filled with a variety of responses from fans players and media alike here's bob irving's take on this purported agreement the uniqueness of the in capital letters canadian football league has been our field our rules and our insistence on having Canadians play. Reducing Canadian stars from 7 to 5 would diminish this great Canadian institution and all it has stood for, shameful. 
Andrew Harris, of course, a Canadian player, born and raised in Winnipeg, says uh, you have the AAF, that's the new American Association of Football, the XFL restarting up later on this year. Neither have a ratio, and both also play in the United States. Why don't you just play there if you have a problem with this? Fans from across the league expressing a variety of points of view from, hey, give us the best players, no matter where they're born, to Canadian players are an important part of the C or important to the C in the CFL. Brian Ramsey is the executive director of the CFLPA, and he said this, a recent report suggesting that any contract language between the CFL and CFLPA has been agreed to is completely and utterly false and simply untrue. I can confirm we have not reached agreement on any discussions with the CFL. Our bargaining team has been very clear and maintains negotiations to date have consisted of process and exchange of proposals only. It's alarming that cited anonymous sources who have allegedly provided input for this story can be this uninformed. This negotiation is a delicate process and reporting wrong information can be damaging for everyone involved. The CFLPA and its bargaining committee continue to work hard to find solutions to address the many needs and concerns of all CFL players. We will continue to be as transparent and available as possible. That, again, from Brian Ramsey, Executive Director of the CFLPA. So the there's only one place to go for information and conversation on this. Doug Brown, number 97, formerly the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, now part of our football coverage team here at 680 CJOB, Hall of Famer on his way to a Hall of Fame broadcasting career. Doug Brown, what do you take? What do you make of this? Uh, well, it's it's an interesting scenario. That is for sure. Um, I think I think the biggest thing, you know, I see both sides of the argument. Um, obviously, the National Hockey League very prevalent in uh, Canadian communities, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, there's no Canadian content there. It's simply the best players that can make it are afforded the opportunities to play. But the big difference between uh, football and hockey is uh, I, I usually talk about my three pedestals of uh, of foundation for sport. And the first is the infrastructure. The second is coaching. The third is competition. You have all three of those in Canada already for, for hockey. And, you know, parents spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year having their kids go through programs that are year round. Uh, you can start skating as, as, you know, before you can walk. If you're a child, the infrastructure, the coaching, the competition for hockey is everywhere in Canada. However, when it comes to the football landscape, that's very different in Canada. Uh, the United States is exponentially greater when it comes to competition, when it comes to coaching, when it comes to infrastructure, how fanatic they are about football. It's almost the equivalent of how Canada is about hockey here. So the great equalizer for the Canadian Football League has always been to mandate, hey, we have to get seven starting Canadians on, on the field, and that forces teams to draft and develop players. Uh, players going through, you know, playing high school football, playing university football, coming out, entering the, the professional realm, you have nowhere near the kind of, of experience, the kind of coaching, and the kind of access to infrastructure that the American players do. And uh, this forces these Canadian franchises to, to really – expose these players to coach them up and and to give them an opportunity and i think we've seen over the years that the canadian starters that do play in the cfl end up being um assets to their to to their team players that would play regardless of that but they need that early they need these programs in place they need this mandatory inclusion in order to get at a, a level playing field with their peers Doug, if the idea is to promote the game and to encourage young uh, people to to play the game and to perhaps dream of a career in the CFL, we've really overshot that goal because there are numerous players, numerous uh, young men that have played at the National Football League level level in the past, including yourself. We've got uh, Brady Oliveira, the Winnipeg product playing at UND, may get drafted into the the NFL. We've got multiple examples just in Manitoba of players that are NFL worthy. So if the CFL got rid of their ratio quotient altogether or cut it, do you think it would dramatically change the number of young people wanting to play football in Canada? I mean, it could. And, and that's just the hard thing. This is all speculatory. Nobody knows what the numbers are going to be. Nobody knows how that would affect uh, an enrollment for people wanting to play football. There's already uh, a big enough 
black eye on football, so to speak, when it comes to uh, concussions and, and CTE and, and uh, unknown area mapping of, of how that translates down the road for your football career. So there's already a, a growing list of disincentives for, for non-involvement in, in football, especially in a hockey rabbit town and um, uh, a country that we live in. So to, to start, you know, diminishing the, the Canadian involvement in the CFL, I, I think that's, uh, you know, it's a difficult and a slippery slope and a dangerous precedent, I think, to set. They're obviously only talking about this because they're considering adding a 10th team. So that's, you know, they would say, hey, that's five more starting Canadians there, even though it would be reducing the number by two for all the other teams. So it, it's kind of, uh, you know, that way they kind of mitigate that risk and say, hey, we're still adding ones we're just we're getting so big now we need to reduce this number but that's always been that's always been a negotiation point for as long as i was involved with the cfl players association uh working out new collective bargaining agreements with the league they have always tried to reduce that number from seven and that number i I believe used to be higher than seven as well so it's already been negotiated down to seven i think anything lower would be a little foolhardy so what should we be watching for, Doug? Is there a date on the calendar that we need to keep our eye on to know where this will go? Well, yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, this is pretty late when it, when it comes to the start of a negotiation. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the season's moved up already. Uh, training camps uh, will be going in May. There are games in May. Um, that's when push comes to shove and and things really get testy it's always interesting you know both 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 parties always agree always agree that there's going to be no leaking there's going to be no sharing of information with media sources but i was actually surprised it came out this early and this fast that there are um, some particulars of discussion things that are on the table already that are that are leaking to the news media but the longer this takes obviously the more urgent it gets and uh that's when you see you know, who's going to fold and uh, who's got the stronger hand and, and, and what's going to happen. So hopefully you always wish for some mediation where both parties are, you know, make a compromise for the collective good. But it's it's interesting. Every time the CBA rolls around, it always gets it always gets testy. Yeah. And this uh, agreement, the current one, uh, five years expires the day before teams are mm-hmm. expected at training camp, May 15th, 2019. Doug Brown, always great to have an excuse to have you on the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Great show. Doug Brown with the Winnipeg Blue Bomber broadcast team joining us live on 680 CJOB. Right now, Greg, you are very excited about this story. Yeah, I am. It's a heartwarming story. And, you know, hockey is Canada's game for a number of reasons. Climate right at the top of the list. So, uh, McGarry, would we call that a little bit of luck? I think so. I think so, too. The speed of the game and the skill involved to play it entrances and inspires us to play and watch the game. Hockey is also, it has that almost inexplicable ability to connect communities and to connect us to one another. Hockey rinks across the country are the unofficial town center and gathering place. We also like to imagine that hockey players are, at the pro level, very good people. And one of the good guys in the Winnipeg Jets locker room is Adam Lowry. Murata Tesh writes for The Athletic and covers the Winnipeg Jets for The Athletic. If you subscribe to that very worthy publication online, you will know that a terrific eye, and what a terrific eye and mind for hockey Murat has. He also tells an amazing story. In his latest story, he introduces us to Connolly Gamble and his family and their relationship with the aforementioned Adam Lowry. Now, Marette joins us live now. And Marette, there's a saying in sports, you've got to be good to be lucky. Lucky to be good. Safe to say there's as much luck as good in this story around Connolly Gamble and his family? Well, there is some amazing strokes of good fortune for everybody involved at at so many different stages of this particular story. Um, And today is the three-year anniversary of the day that Connolly Gamble met Adam Lowry. But he'd actually known Adam's sister, Tessa, and some other members of the family a little bit earlier than that. And I like to think there's a little bit of karma in this story, too, because one of the best strokes of fortune in the entire thing happens because Connolly steps up for his brothers and is there for them when, uh, when they need him. 
Now, Marette, I've been very public with my battle with uh, not only uh, uh, depression and and mental uh, unwellness, but also the connection uh, that my battle with depression had to do with a brain injury that I suffered. And so this this story that you, you share, and I follow Connolly, little Connolly, on Twitter and have been for a long time. So this story resonates with me on a bunch of different levels. Why don't we get into this? Because we only have about five minutes or so to to try and and give the uh, the overarching uh, story here. Who is Connolly Gamble. Connolly Gamble is a 13-year-old boy, uh, one of three triplets in a family from Calgary, who is perhaps the biggest passionate hockey fan that I've come across in my years of, uh, of writing about it. There's nobody, I think, who loves it quite as much as Connolly Gamble does. And so, um, and, and so, where does the story go? You mentioned triplets as uh, father of twins. Uh, one of Connolly's brother brothers was was playing a, a game of hockey and had an unfortunate incident. Yeah, so Connolly and both of his brothers were in the arena, and Keegan Gamble um, was battling for a loose puck in the corner in Calgary at a tournament game in spring, and he got hit from behind. We've all seen awful moments at minor hockey rinks before. He, he was down. He there was a lot of concern about what state that he was in. Um, they took him to the hospital. Uh, everybody in the family rushed there, and they realized that, okay, there was nothing major in terms of a spinal sense. They sent him home, but two days later, he started developing concussion symptoms. Um, and those concussion symptoms in Keegan actually turned out to be a, a blessing for the entire family because the family was able to participate in, by good fortune, or a concussion research study that was going on at the hospital at that time. And what they needed was a healthy control brain like Keegan's, but that had never had a concussion before. Um, Connolly, despite loving hockey as much as he does, hadn't played contact to that point and was the perfect candidate and wasn't afraid of the MRIs or anything like that at all. So he stepped up to, to join that study. And then that's where the, the concussion symptoms have become a bit of a blessing because Keegan goes, he gets his MRI, he goes into the next series of tests. Connolly goes just after his brother gets his MRI and they pull him out of the study. A few days later, his mom gets a call from the hospital and it turns out that he has hydrocephalus, he has a mass on his brainstem, he has fluid in his spinal cord as well. And these are all life-threatening in different ways and very soon he's going to have to have emergency brain surgery. How do how do you, you couldn't sit down and formulate all the things that would need to happen in order for this family to learn this situation that their son was in? Connolly obviously was experiencing no other symptoms with regard to this this situation his brain was in. Yeah, he had never experienced symptoms prior to that moment. It, it really, because of that, you know, you, you, you have three healthy boys. You don't see any symptoms in any situation. And um, for the family, that was quite a shock. And as they looked for sort of different solutions for how to, to go about that, um, you know, uh, they were looking throughout Calgary for different solutions. Um, one of their friends, Tessa Lowry, Adam Lowry's sister, uh, realized that she wanted to do the family a little bit of a solid. They talked about the Jets before, and uh, she reached out to Adam Lowry, who immediately said, yeah, I have an extra stick lying around. He wrote a nice note on that. They sent it to, to the boys, or to, to Connolly, pardon me, specifically. And then in that same time frame, another blessing was that the Alberta Children's Hospital hired one of the world's foremost hydrocephalus surgeons, uh, and Connolly was one of the very first people to to have uh, to have that particular doctor treat him in September of 2015, and uh, the surgery went 100% successfully. Wow! So, in turn, when you when Adam got involved, like I'm just looking at the pictures now of, of these boys, and here's the picture of the kid uh, with a stick, really happy, wearing his Winnipeg Jets gear. Like, how much of an impact does it make on the life of of these young boys uh, when a pro hockey player decides to pop in and say hi? Well, uh, for for these guys, it was huge, and for Connolly in particular, because one thing that was a, and yet another one of the many coincidences is that Adam Lowry, for several years, had been his favorite hockey player. I think it just started because they shared the same favorite number, number 17, uh, and that Connolly's family, the whole one, because his parents are from Winnipeg, were huge Jets fans. So it was 
quite a wild turn that it happened to be Adam specifically that he was connected to. Um, but I think like one of the one of the really nice things about this is that you know if you have the opportunity to sign a stick, sure that that's a, a really nice thing that Adam did. Um, then the season goes on because you know um, the Winnipeg Jets have a season in play and, the, and they're halfway through it when the Jets in the dressing room find out that they're going to be doing a make a wish for a kid and, and this kid wants to become a Winnipeg Jet for a day. That was three years ago exactly today that um, that kid became a Winnipeg Jet. And then all of a sudden it was announced in the dressing room that the Make-A-Wish kid was going to be one of three triplets. And he insisted that he was going to be bringing his brothers along. And then Adam told me he was thinking about that. And he's like, how many triplets could there be? So then Connolly Gamble came out to Winnipeg and met all the Jets, skated with the Jets for a day. That's three years ago today. And the crazy thing about this story in my mind is that Adam has stayed in touch. He checks in on Connolly's rec hockey. He talks to the family. He knows how he's doing in school. Uh, Connolly will send Adam a, a nice message anytime he has a big game or things like that. Adam, his sister Tessa, and the whole Gamble family will, will generally go out for dinner and, and lunch and things like this in the summertime in Calgary. It's become a bond that has sort of transcended the unique circumstances that began it. And, and I think for Connolly, that's been life-changing. I, 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 I wrote it, and I talked to the family so many times, but it, it just continues to blow my mind every time I think of, of these particular circumstances. He's an incredible hockey writer, tells an amazing story, and he's done so with this already incredible fodder. Uh, Murat, thank you for this. We always uh, appreciate the contributions you make when you jump on the air with us and uh, continued success with uh, this incredible coverage of the Jets and this story in particular. Thank you so much for having me. You can, follow, very much. you can follow him on Twitter, WPG Murat, and you can follow Connolly on Twitter as well. He's a great follow. His handle on Twitter is at Hockey Warrior. Guess what? 17. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You know, sometimes Loren McNabb <laughs> gets distracted. I thought you were supposed to be outside. I was. I put my coat on. You had three minutes to get outside. I did, but we have this uh, important story we're bringing to you after nine. So I was busy confirming some details of that. And we'll, we'll get into that after nine o'clock. But yes, I was on my way to the land of the hot dogs <laughs> and got stuck in the land of the news. Well, Greg Mackling is downstairs at our parking lot at 1440 Jack Blick <laughs> with our friends from Lux Barbecue. Greg, what's happening down there? Were you talking to me, Brett? Yes, hello there. It sounds like Greg's already partaking in the food. Tell me the food isn't already ready. I thought I had another 30 to get down there before. Come on, you're even chewing obnoxiously. I'm having, I'm having, I just tried some steak that was cooked on a gas grill, expertly prepared by our friend Evan Fogg and Phil Squarey and the crew from Lux Barbecue. It was pretty good. Okay. I made some eggs too. They made and they're eggs. they really good. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try the steak. Sorry, I don't mean to smack my mouth in your ear. This is a steak made on the little big green, big green egg. Here, Phil, tell Brett and Loren about the big green egg. Hey, guys. Hi. How you doing? Okay, how are you, Phil? Good, good. So, I, don't uh, want to, yeah. I don't want to be hearing Greg chewing anymore, so give us some, <laughs> give us some food for thought, not actual food, on this big green egg and sort of how we get ready for barbecue season. Yeah, for sure. So the Big Green Egg is just a, it's a Kamado style cooker. It's a, it's a charcoal grill and basically it can cook anything. You can do everything from hot dogs, which I believe is the easiest thing to cook on a barbecue to, you know, a, an eight to 12 hour brisket on here. So it basically operates like your oven, just adds a lot of flavor and moisture into the food. So uh, a big difference down here. If you guys come down, you'll try these steaks. Well, and one of the things that I was thinking of when I went down and looked at this Big Green Egg, Phil, is I live in an apartment, so I have a balcony. It's not a huge balcony. So the other two grills you've got out there would absolutely not work. But with that green egg, is that something that could work on a balcony? Yeah, it all comes down to what your uh, your 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 condo uh, rules and or apartment rules are. And yeah, it's it's a lot of apartments allow them, and some don't. But we do have other options like Traeger, like wood fired grills. They're pellet grills. They're electric, and uh, and a lot of people with condos and apartments use those as well. So now we've been, been a lot of people have been making fun of Greg and I. I don't really do the barbecuing <laughs> in my house, so I don't want to like get into that. But. Greg's barbecue's trapped in the backyard. The snow got the better of him this winter, but a lot of people were right in to say, like, come on, you're Canadian. Get the barbecue yeah, out. Well, barbecue all year round. This isn't just a spring or summer thing. 
Well, we're a little passionate about it here at Lux Barbecue, so we do barbecue all year round, and there are a lot of people that do. But uh, no, I totally understand. Minus 50 and uh, four feet of snow is tough to get around sometimes. Now, Phil, your store, your flagship location, you're on Keniston, but... Uh, yes, sir. That's at 1290 Keniston, but I understand you are expanding. Yes, yeah, no, uh, summer 2019, we don't have an exact date yet. We're hoping uh, mid-May to mid-June, somewhere in there, we'll be opening our store at 33 Stapleton. It's uh, two blocks west of uh, Regent and Lajmodier, and uh, we'll have another uh, 14,000 square foot store opening up there uh, to, to serve that end of the city. When the, uh, when you look at the name Lux Barbecue, does that scare anybody away? Like, does it does it imply? Oh, I can't afford to to buy a barbecue from Lux Barbecue. Well, we like to think we have something for everybody. We have grills starting at three hundred dollars, and of course, going up to twenty thousand dollars, and everything in the middle, every price point in the middle. So we like to think we have something for everybody. We do guarantee the best price on every barbecue we do sell. Uh, so we do uh, we do compete with the box stores on on that front, but we also do worry about quality. So so we don't have everything, but uh, at that price point, we seem to appease uh, most of our audience that comes in. Sorry, three hundred was the low price. The high price again <laughs> yes. was. We have a barbecue on our floor right now for $17,899. What does that thing do? Can it drive me to work? Like, what's it? Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it comes with a personal chef for a year. No, I'm just kidding. It, <laughs> it doesn't. But uh, yeah, no, it's just, you know, it's just all about the materials being used and a little bit of a name brand. And so, yeah, we definitely don't sell a lot of those. It's not our bread and butter, but we do like to have something there for everybody. And that's our, our claim. And we do focus on that. If I could just ask something for everybody, to me says hot Please. dogs. Do you have any issue with my love of hot dogs in the bar? barbecue like do, do you do i get judged because i might just someday pick a hot day hot dog over steak oh lauren you got to come down here and have a hot dog oh, so i'm going to we have this we have this awesome thing we don't have it here today but it's a rotisserie we cook the hot dogs over charcoal you you would just die it's it's my favorite way to cook a hot dog Oh, that day, sounds let's good. Just, we might as well just book a next date to bring you guys back. <laughs> exactly. uh, I'm in. I'm in. Now, Phil, before we let you go, uh, I didn't know that, that, uh, that what a pellet grill was. So for those who maybe are not, or, or like me, who are not enlightened in barbecue speak, what is a pellet grill? <laughs> well, so there's different, obviously different kinds of pellet grills, but, but they're basically uh, compressed wood pellets, um, and they, they squeeze them down to a little, exactly what it is described as, is a pellet. And that pellet feeds into usually an electric-fed uh, auger. The auger now feeds into uh, what we call a fire pot, and it's lit by an, uh, an ignition system, and that creates a fire. And then from there, you're burning wood and cooking on wood, but without all the maintenance of a, of a charcoal grill and everything like that. So, so for for people like me that are busy and in a rush, and, and you guys, then you know that's a great thing. It's it's pushing a button as opposed to loading it up with charcoal and everything like that. So, uh, a great feature and uh, very popular. The fastest growing segment of barbecue right now is greg still eating greg is still eating yes he would love to speak <laughs> He's with you eating all of the steak <laughs> well he can come he, if he can make his way back here with some food we'd really appreciate it okay well here he is i'll let you talk to him oh you know thanks what, so much a, for having me thank you very oh, much phil yeah. square with lux barbecue the website is luxbbq.ca they are located at 1290 keniston and we just heard they're opening a new store on stapleton just off of uh, region not far from region and lage this summer it's an amazing store the, the guys there are great they're cooking steak right now and they're going to be cooking hot dogs if you want to stop by 1440 jack blick avenue here at polo park and just grab a hot dog no strings attached hey, just come on by we're feeling the spring the spring is nigh. I keep saying that, but I mean it. (laughs) Normally you say the end is nigh. No. The The end of winter. Okay. Does Uh, nigh mean the end? I guess you're right. Nigh actually implies the end. Yeah, you tend to use it in apocalyptic terms, but I like how you've turned it into a positive. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.